let's talk for and about the LGBT communities around the world. I'm Michael Ross and this is Straight Friendly. Straight Friendly Global V Podcast has started officially on 2021. Our aim was to create an educational, accessible, and global content both for the LGBT communities and its allies around the world. In order to expose and reach to unrepresented communities around the world, we decided to use digital content and we chose podcasting as our tool. And this is why we decided for this episode to discuss together with one of the most important key figures in the field of queer digital media, both in the United States of America and also globally. The production of this episode came to reality thanks to the support of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom in Jerusalem. And also thanks to our team, our production assistant, Jonathan Elkhuri, Sharon Agri, and our sound editor, Zach Aviad. He is the founder and CEO of Q-Digital, the trusted voice in the LGBTQ media, queerty, lifestyle and entertainment, gay cities, travel, LGBTQ Nation, News and Politics, and into first-person perspectives that proudly act as an indispensable source for millions of LGBTQ individuals worldwide, helping them to live their best and most fulfilling lives. Please welcome Scott Gatz. Hello, well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. I would love immediately to start to dive in with you <laughs> where all the things began. And uh, for me, as someone who loves traveling around the world, it was uh, one of the most important chances for me to discover more communities around the world and learn more about myself by seeing other culture and seeing that there is so much history and cultures and places and so many places where things are different from the place where I grew up. And while traveling around the world in Europe, in America, <laughs> I was using some website called uh, Gay Cities, <laughs> which uh, apparently you are the one who founded it. So I would love to hear how it all started. How did you find yourself starting this website? Well, I think like you, I have a passion for travel. Um, the idea of exploring cities and learning about all the, the kind of interesting places, where to go, where to see. And of course, as an as a gay man, as an LGBTQ person, I was always curious about, well, where are the, where are the other queer people? Where are the people that are like me? Can I go to those neighborhoods? Can I explore those places? Find the coffee shops, the, the nightlife, you name it. And I love that. I just love discovering that. And in, uh, really in, in about 2008 or so, uh, I traveled quite a bit, and I was looking for a and b, &B a, a bed and breakfast in Boston. And uh, I was looking on online tools like TripAdvisor, uh, Yelp, those sort of things, looking to find a good place to stay uh, in the South End, kind of the, the gay neighborhood of, of Boston. And I saw reviews, and the reviews were like, well, this B&B &B seems to have a lot of men there. Was a, 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 This older woman had left that review. 
And, and I, it, I thought to myself, I said, well, why don't we have our own place where we can share our favorite places to go, our stories, and tell each other where to go, where to stay, where to eat when we travel all around the world. So uh, I started working on Gay Cities and literally started building it myself. And um, eventually people started using it. People started sharing their tips, telling people where to go. And uh, quickly I found myself with a, a service that people were relying on. And uh, luckily uh, advertisers, specifically Hyatt Hotels was the first advertiser to come to us and say, you know, can we reach your community? And we helped connect them to our community and then continued to grow and grow from there. And and really, ultimately, it, it's a community of people who are passionate about travel and want to help each other find their way. And and then it was maybe, you know, eight or nine cities. Today, we're in 245 cities. We're on a, every continent except All Antarctica. All eight, nine cities were in the U.S.? At the time, yes, when I started uh, with gay cities. I, we only covered just nine uh, and now we're 245, uh, every continent. Uh, we're really, it's amazing to see how it's grown and people contribute, whether that's Cusco, Peru or, uh, or New York city or Tel Aviv. <laughs> and Scott, when you started that, uh, initiative, which it started b- probably because of your own need, if I understand it correct. So when you started it, did you know that it's going to become to to a business or you thought it is as something would be which is more like an NGO or just something for your fun or you already had from the beginning a kind of a business model? No, I didn't have a business model. I, I didn't know what quite would become of it. It was more of a project, like you said, for fun, really to um, there wasn't good online resources at the time. In our community, there had been some print magazines and the Damron guides were actually annually printed guides that would help you find your way. But I was shocked that there wasn't anything online. And I had been um, in technology for a long time before that. I was at Yahoo for for many years. And so I knew how to build amazing services for people. Uh, So I said, well, let's just do it and it'll be fun and people will use it. But uh, it quickly, I began to realize it was bigger than just a, a fun side project. And I, uh, I turned it into a company in, in 2008. And uh, over time, I've been able to attract amazing advertisers to it. And we've grown and grown and grown and added other websites that became ultimately become the company that we call Q Digital today. Which has grown to such, such a big company, which is affecting so many people. And I have so many questions also about that. But before that, I would love to ask you specifically about gay cities. When it got expanded to more and more cities, also outside of the United States, in other continents around the world, did you have any obstacles there? Like with some countries where it could be maybe more dangerous to visit or there's more of a homophobic reaction or anything like that? Or maybe also with with advertisers because... I'm sure it's not so simple for any advertiser to work with something that can be seen as uh, LGBT. I know at least sometimes it looks like that in my country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what it's like in, in the U.S., but you, you have so much probably experience with so many different countries and destinations and maybe even governments and communities. Well. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I mean, every place is a little bit different. And, you know, I think about it. 
that even since we've we've begun we began the site um the you know the world has changed so much since in it's been 13 years has changed so much where now today new uh, the new york city guide or the london guide or los angeles is really about helping surface the best of what's happening and the highlights and you know if you only have a short amount of time where do you go uh, but it really didn't start that way. It started off being where are places that are safe, where are places that you'll be comfortable and not be afraid. And there are many places in the world where those guides are still serving that purpose, that this is about getting yourself to a safe place amongst safe friends and community. Uh, but I'm very excited that, that a lot of cities now, it's not about that. And, and it, it's a different, you know, a different use for the product. Um, and as far as advertisers, you know, I think everyone is, a, they're on their own journey as well. And many advertisers have already realized that, uh, you know, our community is, is, is lucrative. Our community travels and spends and, um, more LGBTQ people have a passport compared to the, 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 the mainstream community. Um, so many advertisers have realized that I've already made it over the hump, but some haven't, you know, some are earlier on and some are still afraid of backlash or perception. Um, but even just in the few years, I mean, 13 years that have, you've done this, it's changed so much. And so if, if you imagine just yet another 10 years, it, it can only change even more. And these evolutions will have happened more and more places will be about, not about safety, but about enjoyment. And more advertisers will not be afraid of backlash, but be excited to reach our community. I have no idea until now you said that, that uh, LGBT people have more passports <laughs> than, uh, than the heteronormative. But it makes sense for me once you're saying that. Because mm -hmm. there is some need sometimes of yeah. going probably... Uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, going, I like to going. say that we almost, treat, we almost treat cities like neighborhoods that we're not afraid to say, oh, there's, there's something amazing going on in Berlin. I think I'm going to plan a trip this weekend. Um, or it's easy to, to pop over to, to London. Obviously, that makes it it's expensive, but it's also a, a, a free spirit. Um, the idea that we're not afraid to go and explore and enjoy and meet other people and, um, you know, everything you said right at the beginning you know, that you get to see places that you, that aren't like your own and meet people who don't have experiences like your own. And, and the fact that we, as an LGBTQ community, have something in common is a common bond, even if we're a thousand miles from home, uh, that we can still find our people. I agree. I completely agree. And it makes things so much easier uh, thanks to digital tools that we have. B because in the past, the world, like, books and uh, uh, booklets that we could uh, read like like our own lonely planets <laughs> books where we can could find the information but many times they were not updated and i think that correct me if i'm wrong but i think that some of the benefits with your initiative with gay cities is the fact that it's digital so you could update it all the time at all and also on the other hand it was much more accessible right because like going to to stores and trying to find some specific book or like finding it somewhere. I think that what happened with your initiative is it was much more open, much more accessible. 
for more people and for more communities, also within the LGBT plus communities. No, I think you're very right. I mean, you can just type in gaycities.com and find your way into any place. You don't have to find, you know, you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to go find that unique store. They'll have the guide and tell you where else to go. You can find it in seconds online. And, and your point is a really valid one that we are able to update it constantly so that, you know, if we learn a place has been closed or, a, you know, a local will write in and say, oh, no, this isn't there anymore. We can update it. Where a print that'll take months and months and months, we're able to update it in real time, and uh, and we're very thankful to the community of people that use Gay Cities that help us keep it up to date. It's, you know, as you can imagine, uh, you know, almost 250 cities, tens of thousands of places are listed in our guides, and we do our best to keep them up to date. But what really happens is that our community tells us. They tell us when we're missing something important. They tell us when something is closed or the hours have changed or whatever it may be. So we're, we're providing a place where we can help each other learn all of this. And it's, it's in, once one person has updated it, it, it's instantly updated for the entire world. I think that uh, <laughs> I have so many things to say, Scott, <laughs> because I think it's really like your initiative is like a real agent of of change because it allows access to information to people but not necessarily could have it access because like in the past it could be more like rumors between people but your initiative gives uh, more power to more people that can share it and can access like in both direction both sharing and also receiving the information and I guess that maybe this is what also led to the growth of uh, gay cities that what become to Q digital with all the so many brands and companies that you have, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, we after having done gay cities for a few years, um, we realized that uh, people were interested in more than just travel. You know, they wanted to talk about pop culture or what's happening in the news or what new TV shows uh, that you must watch this year or film. And, uh, and so we were able to, to join with Queerty uh, early on. It had been started by someone else right around the same time I started, started Gay Cities. And uh, we came and, and took over Queerty in 2011. And really, it was all about um, how how many how many were you at that point? Because you started as one, right? Yeah, I started as one. I think by that time, oh geez, I was, we were probably three or four people. Um, and today, by the way, I'll fast forward. We're eighteen people uh, working across uh, LGBTQ nation, queerty, gay cities, and into. Um, but by joining up with queerty, we we were able to give people a different way. And then eventually, we added LGBTQ nation for journalistic news and into for first-person perspectives. And, and all of it was really about how do we help people live their lives to the fullest? And we can entertain them, we can educate them, we can amplify their voices, we can point them where to go, what to see, uh, wh wherever. We can, we can help with those. And then again, take the model of people sharing with each other and bring it to all aspects of our lives. And I think also what is really interesting because many times it seems like uh, within the LGBT communities or also in like in the digital media world and and advertisement, especially today with like different apps like uh, um, 
you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and all that, but like in order to sell, in order to be successful, the content must be, you know, uh, sexy, entertaining. Uh, but I think what is interesting here, but it, it started with leisure, you know, like traveling, mm -hmm. although it has more aspects than only traveling and entertainment. But then it got also to more brands and initiatives which are into news, like LGBTQ Nation. Like, I, I think it'd be really, really surprising. H how did that happen? Uh, I think similarly, you know, we've always been open to, to listening, to seeing what's working out there. And uh, we met uh, two gentlemen who had started LGBTQ Nation and... Um, they they felt like they couldn't they had built something very interesting but they couldn't take it to the next level and that was something that we're quite good at which is to take the 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 you know the the basis of an idea the basis of of, of a start and turn it into something that's a successful um business and a successful uh, you know successful for our community and so we uh we took that on in 2015 and similarly, can I ask how we acquired like the what site. is the magic? Yeah, oh, how how we uh, how we grew it? Well, it's I don't think it is magic. I think it is simple. Uh, paying attention to your community, paying attention to the needs, watching what people uh, interact with and what they don't, and providing them more opportunity to see the things that they care about. Um, you know, and then luckily, from a business perspective, our advertising partners want to reach our community in all the ways that our community is interacting, whether they're reading news or learning about entertainment or traveling. They want to reach people where they already are. So if we provide a perfect environment for you to learn about today's news or for you to learn about today's entertainment, um, our advertisers will want to reach you. And then that's what funds... Uh, you know, that allows us to do all the great work we're doing. I've read a few uh, researchers and articles uh, that what they found out is that, like, organizations, NGOs, they, ha they do so much about public policy, about trying to change the law, but the number of people that they are affecting directly is very low compared to LGBT businesses. For instance, let's say a party, you know, where so many people are, are going there. So I'm sure it's also, we, we can see that also with businesses which are related to content, which are getting to so many people and, and you're get, getting to very high numbers, right? So like, for, to, how to how many people you, you get uh, these days? I mean, we, one month? we reach about 7 million people each and every month. And um, that's almost uh, the amount of right. people you I have in my whole country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a lot of people when you really think of it that way um but uh you know i think in the same you know your point about uh the ability to reach a lot of people is about providing them um providing them information or edu you know education or entertainment and by connecting them with that then they'll sit and engage with you and then that's an opportunity for us to talk to them about other things um, once they're there and that's what advertising is but we also do partnerships where we will um, partner with organizations that want to reach our community give them free advertising give them free uh, connection to this audience because we want to be able to also 
help affect policy. Um, you know, we do want to help these organizations um, change the world for the better because that's ultimately why we're doing this. Yes, it's a business and that is incredibly important, but we're also trying to change the world. We want a world where everyone can be themselves and that involves educating them so they know what issues to push their politicians uh, but it also involves connecting them to organizations it also involves um, telling them what are important agenda items um, and we can do both at the same time and that's some of the power of having an audience tell me please scott if we'll try to look uh, in a point of view which is a bit more uh, macro let's say like from from the outside so Q-Digital, for instance, is mainly working or only uh, with the U.S., or it's like worldwide? It's worldwide. Let's say like that number, that huge number of 7 million people. It includes, includes people outside of the United States. We have, um, uh, you know, maybe about 70% of our readers are in the United States. Uh, but uh, we have, you know, our services are only in English, so we have English reading um customers readers in in pretty much every nation uh maybe more clustered in canada the uk australia new zealand um but you know even one percent of our traffic comes from india for example so we have people uh everywhere around the world relying on our services reading our stories um you know again there's, there's so many shared experiences that we can talk about together We had some chance and uh, actually in our previous uh, episode, uh, we were interviewing a, a very known activist from India. And the reason that we got to India is because that in this podcast where we're trying to show a kind of a global point of view. So we try to show more countries and actually I know almost nothing about India. As, as we said before, you know, saying, say, uh, knowing one word in, <laughs> in Hindu doesn't mean that you know the culture. <laughs> so <laughs> except of knowing Indian uh, food, I didn't even travel there. But once doing the research and planning our episodes for the podcast, I started to research and to check what are the biggest countries in, in the world. Uh, we found out that China is the biggest one where around 17, 18% of the world live there. Uh, it was very difficult to try and find someone to talk about China. So we moved to, to, to India, which is the second uh, biggest country in the world. Also there, around 17% of the world live there. There are so many people there. We did a rough calculation and we found out that there must be at least 96 million LGBT <laughs> living in India and we had a, a huge opportunity and chance to speak with one activist from there and uh, I would love to play some part from that episode uh, where we were also talking about media content uh, and what it's like uh, in India and we would love to talk about so here is that part. It's a strange thing to call it middle class but middle class is about 10% of this country. And that 10% is also majoritarily caste Hindus, okay? So then it's a very particular kind of population that has the money to spend on consuming media, right? And so when things like there is global visibility of queer people, they make it to India, of course, 
but it's consumed by a very particular population and that has influenced cultural makers in india so we have we are seeing films being made about queer people and trans people we are seeing netflix shows and so on and so forth because we are part of this kind of global trend right but those again tell stories that will be to the liking of this particular population that i mentioned we here in the united states forget that in many countries um internet access is is a limited thing or maybe it's perhaps only on a mobile device um you know we sit at our desktops using the internet that way is not a it's not a way that the majority of folks in in india or china interact with the internet so creating services creating content with that in mind is incredibly important and some countries have firewalls you know china is particularly famous for limiting what con what content comes in or 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 censoring certain google results so there are challenges with how do we get the word out but the 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 first and foremost is that most people do have access you know the people that have internet access will have access to information and that is a that is the first place to start and i think um you know as was just mentioned it may be the the middle class in brazil or the middle class in israel um or in in india that is kind of driving uh the consumption of media uh, but that's the first place to start and uh, to to interact and to connect but don't assume that you reach everyone and i think especially we talked earlier about ngos you know they know more than anyone else that you can't rely on on this as a means to connect with people um but it's a start it's a it's a way to connect with people It seems like within history one of the biggest change that happened in the last decades is the technological changes and you know on, on the, the information that we are having and maybe also this is was one of the reasons for why Stonewall became to be such a, an important and successful event in some way because it started in New York in 1969 we had we had media there and not not as today but it spread all around the world and, and we saw how very fast like within few years there were parades happening on june specifically commemorating the stonewall riots all around the world so probably what is happening now is a more accelerated change thanks to those technological changes probably i think that's very insightful i mean if we think about it, stonewall was not the first time we stood up uh you know we you know Um, the Mattachine Society marched in Washington, D.C. for rights for uh, government workers who were not allowed to work while being LGBTQ. The Compton Cafeteria riots here in where I live in San Francisco, uh, people stood up and, and fought against the police. The Cooper's Donuts riots in Los Angeles Uh, where literally the the patrons, the trans patrons threw donuts at the police, chasing them away. Uh, these 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 were our fights. These were our struggles. But for whatever reason, and we're incredibly thankful for it, um, Stonewall happened at a time that intersected with media attention and awareness and built upon all those previous fights. Uh, and it made it easier to communicate. So then you're right, one year, after Stonewall, there were marches in Los Angeles, in, in New York, in cities across um, the United States. And then it grew quickly around the world after that, because we were able to, to hear from each other. And now in today's age, you know, 
that can happen in a moment that this, you know, even the fact that we're sitting here having a podcast, you know, when I was growing up, the radio station only broadcast as far as the city antenna would reach. And here, you know, today, hopefully we have listeners in the United States and in the UK, in India, in China, wherever, uh, because the technology enables that. And that's, um, that's an incredibly powerful thing. And, um, and in particular, you're leveraging that. And I think it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Actually, I can really, you know, I can really feel with it because for me, the reason for, uh, I had no idea. <laughs> Sometimes people ask me what I do. So I tell them that I'm a professional gay. <laughs> and I say that I, I never had an idea that this is what I will do with my life. I thought I will be in diplomacy and stuff like that. Stuff that uh, my mom maybe will be more proud about, but what she likes what I do these days. But it took, but it took some time. Um, for me, the reason I'm doing the things I'm doing also, for instance, this this podcast, it started because where I grew up, uh, I was born in uh, the, the way, way, way suburbs uh, in Israel, in the north of the country, to a family of uh, immigrants from Russia. And talking about media and the power that media has, so even until today, although my parents live in Israel, where we're supposed to have a liberal media here, in Hebrew, or sometimes also media from the US and Western countries, sometimes it's being translated. But for my parents, they watch mainly the Russian TV channels. And there, like, it, it, it goes the opposite way. It doesn't go and get uh, more liberal, it goes exactly the opposite way as we see in some countries, like Turkey, for instance, um, which is really, really, really scary. But on the other hand, maybe today there are some changes happening thanks to the fact that almost anyone can become a digital content. Although I can say that not a few days ago I opened a TikTok account. I've realized that I have to be uh, more <laughs> fashionable and, <laughs> and adjust myself for, for the cha changes. And people were reporting my content. So uh, it, was, it was removed. So probably there we also, we still have a new kind of activism, a new kind of generation where we have to see how we can use uh, the different tools. But for me, I think that one of the reasons uh, for what I'm doing is the fact that where I grew up and when I was a teenager, I didn't have that kind of content for me. I didn't have a, a gay-friendly content. And, or if I had, it was like, I, I remember like that, the first thing I saw was queer as folk, which is so known. And the image that I had from that TV program or from many other were like that being gay, meaning being lonely, using drugs, uh, and being lonely, <laughs> mainly. And for me, what changed really, what changed my life? And like I said, wow, I, mu I must share with experience that at the age of 19, uh, I went to Tel Aviv, to the gay capital in, in Israel. And it was the first time for me ever to see in my eyes two guys, a couple, walking hand by hand with their child. That was the moment that I have realized that, oh my God, I'm gay, I can see a future. 
And uh, <laughs> when I started working, working on a book, doing my lectures, and then do, doing this podcast, started it in Hebrew, and when it became somehow, I have no idea how it became viral, and I started doing the, the English one. And this is why I called it straight friendly, because many times I think not only about the content which I wish that I had for myself, but also about what content I wish my parents had. <laughs> and this is why, why I call it straight friendly. And I think that this is also like the image that we show in media is super, super, super important. And a lot to do also with showing an image of, of raising a family. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note that there's no one type of experience of being a queer person. Uh, that every light, you know, everyone can have their own experience. Everyone can approach it differently. And, um, you know, it is nice that media perspectives are changing and we're being able to see those stories. Um, but on a very personal level, um, you know, uh, I have a child. My husband and I have a child. And so we're hoping that we're that person one day that someone like a younger you would have seen. Um, and, and it's a world where I think everyone... You know, I want to create a world where everyone can have that experience. Um, we fought, and there's a lot of attention to marriage equality, and we still have a very long way to go. There's so many countries where um, we still don't have marriage equality, and that will change. But then you want to look forward, and what you know, starting a family, growing your family, is such a powerful concept. And for some people, it's not of interest, and for others. Um, it is. And how do we make it so that everyone can, if they want to, start a family free of legal legal problems, but also free of social stigma, free of economic barriers, free of, of any challenges so that, that we can all... Um, it, it's another part of living our lives to the fullest. You know, if you think about the love and joy that a family brings. And I'm on the, the board of an organization called Family Equality, is at familyequality.org. And we're really focused on ensuring that, you know, not only are we looking to change policy and laws, but we're trying to provide ways to connect. You know, it's actually in some ways, it's a lot similar to my, my business, that we're trying to provide opportunities for families to connect with each other and share the tips and share the concerns. And how did you deal with the school when they, when it came to, you know, Father's Day, but you're a two-woman couple raising a child. What do you do during Father's Day or vice versa on Mother's Day if you're two men? Um, how do you talk to your school about being a non-binary parent? And how do you teach that? Um, but on a very personal level, you know, some of the most interesting interactions I've had are at my son's school. You know, when he was little, when he was in kindergarten, you walk in and a little kindergartner runs up to you and it says, you know, are you two daddies? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, so he has two daddies. They're like, yeah. You know, some people have two daddies. Some people have two mommies. Some have a mom and dad. Some have one of only one of one other kind. Some people have a non-binary parent. And the kid looked at me and was like, okay, and ran away. And <laughs> the, you know, it's you. You realize that uh, it's not revolutionary. It's incredibly normal and and human. Um, and why not, uh, you know, anyone who wants to have that, I want to create a world where that's possible. And, um, you know, we have a long way to go, uh, but, you know, let's, that's a direction I think we can head. And then we can continue to provide 
rights for all of us to really be our fullest selves and and to experience joy the way we want to. It has so much to do probably with the next generation of of content I think of of queer or straight friendly content where we can also show and give some practical information which is educational for people and maybe also for youth because the a- education starts just as the example as as you said like that kid he said like okay like <laughs> he had to see that it's like sometimes when we feel like hate comes from fear and fear comes from lack of knowledge and it was solved so quickly <laughs> at just such a young age maybe this is how we can change the world yeah and i think that is again you know the the power of media to deliver that is immense and as you mentioned you know it can go both ways we have, we do have to be careful about the power of media but getting our voices our stories um examples and, and it doesn't have to be in a big way but just has to be there we have to be seen Uh, the people who are, are working to put our stories into broader narratives um, are, are doing great work because ultimately that's, you know, you just see, oh, okay, that exists. I'm okay. You know, the world hasn't ended and that will happen. And I, I think someone said to me recently that we almost need to step, let, you know, as, as our generation, we need to step back a little and let the younger generation go from here. Uh, because I think there's a lot of folks that are doing amazing work and that are changing the world and already have different perspectives um, than people of my generation or others. And uh, I think that's incredibly encouraging and exciting. Wow, this is uh, not something that I hear every day. Maybe it's a new kind of evolution. I'm, I'm I, you know, I, there's a lot of hard stuff and we, you know, our Our sites cover bad news every day, but when you look at it in a much broader perspective, you take that big step back, like the macro perspective, as you were saying, um, I think there's a lot to be encouraged of if we think about just how how far the world has re- evolved in the last 25 years, which is really not that long of a time when you think about it. Where will we be in the next 25? And I think... Um, At least being able to see as a as a parent of a child seeing his generation um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for optimism here Scott I had so many more questions I wanted to ask you also about uh, the the into and the acquiring from grinder and also I said before in our preparation meetings like I discussions like I received so so many files from you and I was so much impressed. Uh, by the diversity there I think it's super 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 important but we're out of time and I had like one really important question so probably we will have to make another episode <laughs> and um, I wanted to ask you what is like one of the things or the thing that you did either no matter no matter where maybe it's like with family maybe it was in youth or maybe it was with your entrepreneurship I would love to ask you What is that one thing which you are really, really proud about? It's always hard to, to put it into terms of one thing, but I, um, you know, My deep questions down, are never easy. No, of course. But deep down, I, I <laughs> see myself as a creator uh, that I am able to take, um, take ideas and make them into reality. And I'm very proud of what we've done with Cute Digital. Uh, you know it didn't exist you know just a little more than a decade ago 
And with the passion and the excitement of what I thought we could do, um, we created something. And now there's a team of, of 18 amazing people that work with me that are every day doing some amazing work, keeping our community uh, educated, informed, entertained, raising up stories of people who, um, who might not get attention otherwise. Um, I'm very proud of what we've been able to do and the work that we continue to do to tell those stories. And, um, and I'm proud that I get to work with an amazing group of, of people who care about it the way I do. And, uh, uh, I hope that we can only continue to do as great as we have and um, continue to tell stories and even get better. Um, but I'm incredibly proud of, of what we've created together. And, uh, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about it here. Wow, Scott, thank you very, very, very much. I really appreciate that uh, <laughs> you've arrived here. Here, you know, it's, we're doing it in a digital way. We're not meeting yet. <laughs> Maybe the next episode. Um, I think that also being as a creator. Next time time I'm out there. (laughs) We should do that. And I think that also, I really loved what you said about being a creator. I think that uh, I I, I once heard someone said that like, I didn't, someone told me once, I didn't choose to be a creator. I had no other option. I like, it was a must for me to, to do. But sometimes I think that for most of the people, it's not easy and they don't, it's like, it's also a decision and also lack of like to create something which is empowering and can connect people. But you did that. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with us your creation. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to doing this again when uh, we can actually be together in person. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. This was another episode of Straight Friendly Global. You can find more episodes and listen to our podcast on your favorite listening app, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Echo Podcasts, Alexa Media Player, Google Podcasts, and so on. 